Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. Well, good morning, everybody. One of the first rules of speaking is you bring your own fan club, so I brought my own fan club with me. Morning, TC family. Well, it's a privilege for me to, A, be back in church with you guys. You know, I've missed you. It's felt like it's been a really long time since we've had the opportunity to hang out together and, and spend time in God's Word and, and uh, just praise and worship together. We get a chance to do that a fair bit out at the center, out just outside of Brandon there. But to be able to do it with the extended church body and for all of our, our family and friends who are watching online, just know how much it means for us to be able to gather together again. I just appreciate the opportunity. You know, as I was thinking about what to speak about, God always drops sermon ideas when I'm doing my devos. It just, it's just how it happens. Um, I'll be studying something myself, and, and God always stirs something up where he's like, hey, maybe you could share something about that, or maybe you could share something about that. So this morning, I'm going to share about um, something out of the book of Luke that when I was reading it, I kind of saw a whole bunch of us in the story. But it also made me look back and remember something that happened to me when I was a kid. So I'm going to tell you about that. Growing up, uh, I grew up on a small acreage, just a little hobby farm with my family. And uh, for me, that was the best life I could have had as a kid. I was very much a tomboy, loved being outside. And my dad, he had a love of horses that he really instilled in me. Um, for me, the best part of my day was getting to go out and feed the horses, do the chores. I always had to laugh at my sister because her after-school chore was doing the dishes and I got to go out and feed the horses. So I definitely felt like I got the better end of the stick on that one. And, and most Saturdays, I would love to go out, and I'd just spend a little extra time with them, or I'd go riding. My dad just always said to me, Kim, horses are a great thing, so having them a part of your life is a good thing. And we got my own horse, and he taught me how to saddle it and take care of it and clean out its hooves and all of that really fun, fun stuff. So for me, that was my childhood. I loved horses. So when I was about 10, I got the opportunity to go to Circle Square Ranch. Obviously, you guys know about Circle Square Ranch, right? For sure. Uh, my daughter Anna and my son Josiah, they both went to the one in Austin. But I grew up in Ontario, so I went to one just outside of Arden, Ontario, which was about four hours from where I grew up. And man, was I excited. It was going to be a week where I could just be around horses every moment of my day. I just thought it was going to be just a wonderful, exciting, fabulous time. I mean, I got to go live in Western Town and be a cowgirl for the week. So to me, this was like my dream come true. And I remember when I got there, um, a lot of my cabin mates hadn't got there yet, and so I was just meeting my counselor, and, and she said to me, she just kind of let me know as we chatted, and she realized I had a little bit of experience with horses. She just let me know that my cabin was going to be full of a bunch of city girls who really didn't know anything about horses. And uh, to my 10-year-old brain... <laughs> My day in the sun had arrived. I was ready. I was ready to share my vast knowledge that I had. You know, we spent a good bit of time every day riding, obviously, but also learning how to take care of the horses and your, the equipment and the tack and the saddles and everything like that. And when, when my leaders realized I knew most of the answers to all the questions, and when they saw that I obviously had had a little bit of riding experience, um, you know, they quickly kind of let me become the leader of my cabin, and I got to lead the girls in the corral and do all this awesome, fabulous stuff. And I have to admit, I, I kind of got feeling like I was on top of the world. I 
I hate to brag it, but I, I really ruled that week. I was, I was pretty fabulous. I was probably the greatest thing since sliced bread, but you know, that's just how it goes. Now, if you know anything about Circle Square, you know that your week of camp ends with a rodeo, right? Everybody knows it ends with a rodeo. That's always really fun. And I was so excited for that because my mom and dad were going to be there. My brother and sister were going to be there. You know, all these people were going to be able to just see how fabulous I really was. So I was very, very excited. And I got picked to be in the saddle competition. And that essentially meant you saddled your horse, you rode to one end of the corral and back, and the fastest person, well, if you've ever seen Circle Square rodeos, I mean, you're talking a red ribbon that had the Circle Square emblem on it. Like, it was a prize worth winning. And I was like, the saddle competition? Man, I do that every single day or every single Saturday. Like, this is going to be a piece of cake. I was so ready for it. It was going to be like any other Saturday. So we marched in. And the first thing you do is you march into the middle of the corral and you sing, oh, Canada, and you say the Lord's Prayer like any good rodeo would do. And I have to tell you, I was looking really good. I had my cowgirl hat on and a new cowgirl shirt and my cowgirl boots. I was looking every inch of the part. My new friends were really jealous of me because I looked so good. And they were asking me if my family was rich. And I mean, of course we weren't, but I didn't need them to know that. So finally, my big moment arrives the sheriff shoots off the starting pistol, and I went to work. I mean, it was a thing of beauty. I threw my saddle on that horse. My fingers, they went faster than I'd ever seen them go. As I tightened my cinch and I got everything ready, and I called my leader to come over. They had to check to make sure everything was tight before you took off. And as she was checking, I was glancing around, and I mean, obviously, I was going to win. Everybody was like so far behind. So she said, yep, you're good to go. So I jumped up on the back of Blaze, which Blaze had been my horse all week. We were really good friends, and I was excited to ride into the sunset and win this exciting thing with him. And I jumped up into the saddle, and I grabbed my reins, and I gave him a kick, and I said, let's go. And we didn't go anywhere. We didn't move. Nothing happened. I yelled at my horse some more. I kicked him, as you do, you know, because obviously he's the one that's not learning something here. And nothing happened. And I frantically start looking around, and I see my competitors are actually catching up to me and are starting to take off. And for the life of me, I could not figure out why my horse was stumped off my horse, because, I mean, I had to look this guy in the eye and say, like, why are you, like, abandoning me in my moment of triumph here? And as I got down near his head, out of the peripheral vision of my eye, what do you suppose I saw? We were still tied to the fence. We were still tied to the fence. So I quickly grabbed a hold of the rope, and I undid it, and I jumped back on, and in a blaze of glory, we ran off. And by the time I got back to the back, I came in second to last. At least I wasn't last. But, you know, I realized that uh, my moment in the sun, yeah, it was over. It was gone. My moment had arrived and gone really quickly. You know, it was something so simple and something I knew to do, but I just hadn't done it. And it held me back from accomplishing something in my 10-year-old brain that was so amazing. There I was, I was young, I was rich in my friend's eyes, I had ruled with this prideful superiority all week. You could almost say that I was a rich, young ruler. Hey, wait a minute, does that sound familiar to anybody? Exactly, that was the scripture I read in my devos, and it brought me right back to that memory. So if you've got your Bible and you want to turn to Luke chapter 18, we're going to have a look at this guy. So Luke 18, starting at verse 18. It says this, it says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All of these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. So the rich young ruler, I mean, I'm sure it's a story we've all read before, but what do we know about this guy? Well, Luke specifically mentions that this man was a ruler. So when I kind of looked up what that would have meant in the Greek, it basically kind of translated as a leader or an official, basically a guy who would have been in, led in, this, in the synagogue and probably sat on the tribunal, which would basically be kind of like the court for that, any particular city in Israel. So he was a guy who read the scriptures and he knew the law of God. In Matthew, it mentions the fact that he was young. So, you know, when I looked at what that meant, it probably meant he was between sort of 20 or 40. But we could also just look at it as he was a guy who still had time to accomplish some things. And all three Gospels remark about the fact that he was wealthy. But our passage here in Luke says he had great wealth. So he probably maybe had more than the average person. So basically, we got a guy who was wealthy, who studied God's word. He knew what God expected of his people. He still had a portion of his life to accomplish some things, and who, because of his status, he had the opportunity to lead people. So as I was reading this in my head, I thought to myself, this guy here, well, he kind of resembles all of us in some way. I don't think, is there anybody here that's going to argue if I called them young today? I'm thinking probably not, right? We're all young in the sense that until Jesus calls us home, we've all got time to accomplish something for him, right? We still do, for sure. And, and I think that, you know, if we look at wealth, you know, we maybe aren't as rich as we'd like to be. You know, maybe we wish we could pay all the bills on time. But, but at the same sense, we're still wealthy and we've got family. We've got friends. We've got food on our table. We've got a roof over our heads. There's definitely a level of wealth there. And we're all leaders, whether we realize it or not. You know, maybe you're the CEO of a company, or you're the manager of some place that you work, or maybe you're your kid's soccer coach, or maybe you're a teacher, or you're a parent or a grandparent. Maybe you lead in a connect group around here or something like that. But even if all you do is do a really good job of leading yourself in a healthy way, and that's something we talk about at TC all the time, you've got to learn how to lead yourself healthy. You are a leader in some capacity. So as I got thinking about all of that, I thought, well, maybe there's another way that we could read this passage. So the girls at the center, they call me Pastor Kim or PK. So we're going to read this from the PK version of the Bible, okay? So it says this. It says, a certain member of the Bethel family asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life, to live life to the fullest, and to be a witness to my community so the wheat city can be harvested? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And I always have to pause there because that always makes me smile. There's no sucking up to Jesus. You ever notice that? He always just points us right back to the Father. He always just says, hey, don't look at me, look at him. I love that about Jesus. Anyway, Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. Register early for church. Come in the right door. Sanitize your hands. Keep your mask on. It goes on and on and on, right? Well, all of these I have kept since Pastor Mike told me I had to, the person responded. And when Jesus heard this, and I love what it says in, in the Mark passage when it talks about this, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
So put a pencil in that because we're going to come back to that. But in this version, it says, Jesus heard this and said to him, you still lack one thing. Go and fully let go of that one thing that you haven't surrendered to me yet. That one thing that's holding you back from serving me fully so that you can have a greater impact for my kingdom. Let go and then come follow me. And when the Bethel family member heard this, they became very sad because they were very wealthy. And they went away sad because they weren't willing to surrender. I know that's a bit of an ouch. It was an ouch when I realized that's me. Some that are also true for us. And the first one is, we have no problem asking Jesus what we, might, what we must do. He went right up to Jesus and said, what do I need to do? We have no issue asking Jesus that. We usually beg for him to show us. I remember as a kid saying, Lord, if you could just send me a letter. Just send me a letter. I'll do it. I just need to know what it is, right? We have no trouble asking. We ask for direction. We ask for guidance and his will for our life. We ask if we're on the right track. We ask how we could maybe better represent him, how we can be a better friend or a leader or a son or a daughter. We ask for help in dealing with our kids. We ask for, for healing. We ask for protection. And we ask and we ask and we ask. What must I do to have all that you've planned for me and all that I desire too? Well, the truth about this guy was he'd given up some things to follow Christ, and we do that too. And this might look different for all of us because we probably all accepted Jesus at different points in our lives. You know, I found the Lord because I grew up in a Christian family. I was a kid when I found Jesus. But for me, it still meant sacrifices, you know, through growing up years where I didn't get to go and do certain things because I just knew it wasn't going to honor God. So there was still some sacrifice there. But if you came to accept the Lord later in life, maybe, maybe it was giving up your old life or your old friends, or maybe even family members who just won't accept the fact that you love God now. You know, we all surrender at the very least the ability to live just the way we want to when we submit ourselves to following God's word. And the truth is, this guy was a pretty good guy, and I mean, looking at you guys and everybody online, you all seem like you're pretty good people too. I mean, I'm sure you're a great bunch. You probably read your Bible and you pray and do your best to stay accountable. I mean, you maybe struggle to love your neighbor quite like you should, but I'm sure you give it your best shot. And we all, you know, just look at ways that we can do things the best we can for God. I mean, at the very least, we're probably better than we used to be, right? Well, and the truth was, this guy had some things that he wanted to keep. And that's us too. And it might look different for each of us. I mean, we all have things we want to keep, and some of them are great. I love my kids. I'd like to keep them. You know, I'll take you guys home. We can still, we can still hang out together. It's going to be good. I love that I get to serve TC. I love my ministry. I love what I get to do there. And I want to keep doing that. I love watching sports. I love going camping. And I love, love that my closest neighbors, other than the ladies, is a herd of cattle that live in the pasture beside my house. I love that. I love that. And just like the rich young ruler, we all have things that we need to give up. We all have things that get in the way of us totally surrendering to God. You know, just like him, there's things that we can do that are pleasing to God. Things that align with his commands. This guy was really good at that. Portions of that. But also like the rich young ruler, there's things that we allow to take importance over God. Things that we rely on instead of him. And these are the things that we have to give up because these are the things that are holding us back. Folks, we're like the rich young ruler when we have something in our life that we just can't let go of. And we find ourselves whispering, please don't ask me to give that up. God, please don't ask me to give that up. There might be some of you sitting here today or watching online and you're thinking the very same thing to yourself. 
And you know what's holding, you know exactly what's holding you back from walking in freedom and fullness of Christ, but you just can't bring yourself to let go. Or maybe you're like me, sitting up on my horse, still tied to the fence and not even realizing it. So my question to you here today is, what is holding you back? You know what stood out to me when Jesus was listing the commandments of what this guy had kept? You know, he said, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't testify falsely, honor your mom and dad. What stood out to me was what the ones were, that were missing. He didn't say that the guy had been keeping, have no other gods before me, don't have any idols, don't take my name in vain, remember the Sabbath, things like that. So what's significant about that list? I think it shows how our heart is directly connected to God. Jesus knew this young man would have kept the list he shared. He went to church, he studied the scriptures, he knew what was expected. So he knew, I need to do these certain things. And you know what? Probably most of us can say the same thing. Primarily because these commandments are all the ones that other people can see. If you murder somebody, chances are people are going to know. If you steal something, somebody's going to be upset, right? But the ones that were missing were where the young man had gone off the tracks. Because those were the commandments that speak directly to his heart and our heart and our intimate connection with God. And that's what Jesus zeroes in on. This guy was doing so many things right. He was following all the rules. He was checking all the right boxes. But in his heart, there was still stuff that he wasn't surrendered to. So my question would be, what is holding you back? What would Jesus say that you need to lay down? And there's so many things that this can be, you know. Sometimes it's just, it's just a, a sense of fear. It can be our own pride. It can be so many things, maybe bitterness, maybe unforgiveness, maybe something that you just, you just can't let go of. And I think probably most things that we all would struggle with are going to fall into one of the following categories. And the first one is your need for control. You know, I think <laughs> when you think back to this last year with COVID, what probably bothered us all about it the most it was that we lacked control, right? We had somebody telling us when we had to wear a mask, where we had to line up, what store we could go to. Oh, we can't go to that store anymore. Actually, you can't go see your family and just please stay inside your house. If you ever felt like you didn't have control in your life, this last year has shown that. But I think if we're someone who control becomes an issue, you know, it's, you love it when life falls according to your plan. You crave organization, you crave order, you obsess over having life work out the way you want it to. When things make sense, or when you can have, or you can find the answers, or when you're in complete control over what's happening around you, everything's great. Faith can seem like a surrender of all that you've built your life upon and you've tried to keep together. And instead of seeing the truth that giving God the control allows for freedom, you feel like you're going to lose out if you do that. What you fail to see is that when you let God take over and you allow his plan to be fulfilled, the true happiness can be found and that, that you will lose that stress and constant anxiety you're plagued with because you're trying so hard to control what you simply can't. Maybe that's what's holding you back. Or maybe it's your fear of the unknown. You're losing out because you're afraid of what you can't see. You can't know or you don't understand. What if God asks me to do something hard? How many people as a teenager didn't want to go and pray anything because God might send me to Africa? He might send me. Who knows where he's going to send me? I don't want to do that. What if he asks me to serve somewhere that I just don't want to go? Or I have to submit to a leader that I'm not sure I can. Maybe I just won't ask. Maybe it's your fear of the unknown. Maybe it's your love of all things material. Are you busy building your own kingdom? 
Are you trying to keep up with the Joneses? Are you making sure your kids are dressed just right? Or you have the right car or the latest phone or all of those things? The list can go on and on and on. It's endless. And what's truly holding you back is the fact that you have something that you've given value to that's more than Christ. Maybe it's your need to look backwards instead of forwards. Sometimes we struggle with this at TC. Over your shoulder, you're beating yourself up over your past, thinking about what should have happened, could have happened. Hindsight is 2020, And you keep neglecting God's truth that each and every day is a new one in him. His mercies are new every day. There's always, always hope, and you are a new creation. It's like stagnant water. If there's nothing moving, that's what's going to happen to you. If you're so busy just staying in the current or staying in the past, you're stuck. Maybe it's your negative self-talk that's holding you back. It's not that God doesn't love you or doesn't want to. It's not that he's keeping himself away or isn't being present in your life. The truth is you're continually speaking with anger and cruelty to your own heart. You're convincing yourself that you're not good enough. And instead of resting on his truth, that you're always more than enough in his eyes. Maybe it's your inability to trust what you know in your heart is true. You know God's word is real. You know his deep love for you and how he will forever be with you no matter what happens. You've seen miracles and blessings all around you. And you've been strengthened in him and yet you're scared and terrified to truly trust him. Is he still going to keep doing that for me? Is he still going to keep loving me? And the reason you're not able to have a deep relationship with him is it just boils down to the simple fact that you're doubting what you know is true. Maybe it's your desire for personal happiness rather than God-provided happiness. You can't deepen your relationship with the Father if you're so stuck on selfish or worldly desires. This life is temporary, and I think the sooner we all remember that, the easier life becomes. Because if we put our passion and energy into pursuing the things and the people of this world, we're forever going to miss out on what God offers. Unconditional love, forgiveness, hope, and eternal life. If you're so focused on your own desires, and you know what, guys, that can even be for something good. Maybe you're, you're diligently seeking for God to provide the right spouse, or maybe you desperately want to have kids, or you want to make sure that the job you're moving into is exactly what God has. It can be all really good stuff, but if it takes your focus off of him, it's going to hold you back in your relationship with him. And the amazing thing about our Heavenly Father is he knows the desires of our hearts, and it pleases him to give those to us. We just have to remember it's always in his timing, not ours. Or maybe lastly, your nervousness over the possibility of change because you don't want things to change. You don't want this life to suddenly become harder or for there to be tests of faith. You don't want to have to wake up and have to choose, am I going to walk in faith or am I going to do a normal life? You don't want anything remotely difficult because you've gotten so used to the ease of your every day. This was me sitting in Ontario. God had been calling us to move to Manitoba. Chris knew it. And kept trying to gently remind me. And I was just like, no, 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 no. I like my life the way that it is. But I look now and I think, you know what? If I had stayed stuck there, the last 10 years I would have missed. I would have missed. And I can't imagine missing that. Faith is a challenge. Faith is a choice. Faith is passion and love and commitment for the beautiful and often unseen things that God has for us. Do you remember what verse 23 said? It said, but when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. The passage in Mark says, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And I find this verse so heartbreaking, not because he was so rich and not because Jesus' words had caused him to stumble and to think for a minute, 
You know, when I was researching this text, I, I got the common feeling from a lot of the different sources I looked at that this guy didn't come to Jesus like the Pharisees. They, he wasn't looking to trip Jesus up. He wasn't looking to stump Jesus. There was an earnestness in his heart. He truly, genuinely wanted to know what the answer was. So I think what upsets me and I find so heartbreaking the most is that he walked away. I wish he would have stuck around for a few minutes and asked Jesus some questions and allowed himself some space to consider what Jesus was truly asking him. To give himself time to get to really know Jesus and see if what he was actually asking was actually worth it. You know, I, I finished that passage that day in my devos and I just kind of felt unfinished with this guy. I thought, this, is this it? <laughs> Where do we go from here? Where do I go from here? Because I see myself in him. And as God does, the next day I opened my Bible to continue on in my devos. And I found the familiar story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. So if you want to flip over to Luke 19, we're going to read that real quick. Luke 19, and we're going to start at verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. Pat and I understand. Hey, Pat. He was short. What do we do? <clears throat> when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. People muttering. Drives me crazy. Mutter, mutter, mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. He's gone to eat supper at that teen challenge house. Can you believe it? Man, what is this guy doing? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody at anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, so just like we did with the rich young ruler, let's look at who Zacchaeus was for a second. We know he was a descendant of Abraham, so by blood he was Jewish. We also know that he was a tax collector, but not just any tax collector. He was the chief tax collector for that region. So basically he worked for the Canadian Revenue Agency, and he lived in Brandon, and his job was to tax all of us. And the way things worked back then was he could decide if I owed $1,000 in taxes that he was going to charge me $2,000 and just keep the other 1000 So as you can imagine, he was not a well-liked fella. Um, he was, had a rough background. He was definitely not as religious as our rich young ruler. He probably had a little bit of knowledge, but not as much as the other guy. And when he encountered Jesus, when he encountered Jesus, he ran face first into the amazing grace and unconditional love, and immediately he knew what he had to do, let go of everything that was holding him back. Let's look at that verb part from a PK version as well. Verse 8 says, but the Bethel family members stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give you everything. If I've held anything back, any area of my life I've been unwilling to let go of, I lay it now down at your feet. And as I pondered this, I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe the opposite of rich isn't poor. Maybe the opposite of rich is free. You know, the rich young ruler thought that letting go of what mattered to him was what, and what, held, what was holding him back was going to make him poor. That's what he was struggling with. But Zacchaeus, well, he truly encountered Jesus, and he knew that would set him free. 
It's easy to hear Jesus' words as a challenge, as something to be accomplished or demanding more than we're maybe prepared to give or to do. But what does Galatians 5.1 tell us? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So what if you were to let go of what's holding you back? Maybe you could finally walk fully in the freedom that Christ died to give you. And the thing we need to remember is this letting go is not a trade. It's not an exchange. It's not us giving something to Jesus so he'll give us something back. It's not balancing the books. It's not a price we pay to God. It's about the freedom to become. It's the freedom to step into all that he has for us. It's the freedom to see the possibility of the impossible. And you know what? It's not easy work. When the man heard what Jesus had to say, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. There's a lot to let go of. You know, you think back to the list that we talked about. Some of us have a lot of wealth, but it just happens to be wealth in things like needing to control. Or wealth, we have a wealth of fear and guilt. Maybe it's a wealth of material desires or a wealth of memories that's keeping you in the past hating yourself. Sometimes it's a wealth of our reputation and others' approval or our power. And sometimes it's the wealth of ingrained habits and attitudes. You know, we often hear the story of the rich young ruler ending with the man choosing to not follow Jesus. You know, when you, when you come to the end of that passage, that's kind of the conclusion you come to in your mind. And I think, you know, that isn't actually what the t- doesn't also say that he did do what Jesus said. It just says he turned away grieving. Who knows? Maybe he went home and immediately sold all of his stuff, gave the money to the poor, and chased after Jesus like Zacchaeus did. Or maybe he did it a month later. Or maybe eight years later, he finally realized he needed to let things go. Or maybe he never did. We just don't know. And you know what? That's okay. Because what he did or do isn't the issue. The issue's about us and what we do or don't do. Do you remember when I said I loved what that one verse in Mark said? Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus gets it, guys. He knows how hard it is for us to let things go. And I think he looked at him and he loved him because he saw the battle going on inside his mind. He could probably sense this guy was like, is this worth it? Am I going to do this? Oh, I have to give all that up, but is it going to make a difference in my life? He could imagine the, the battle that was going on in this guy. And I think today Jesus looks at us and he looks at every person here and every person that's online and he's loving us and he's simply asking us to let go of what's holding us back. We don't need to hang on to it anymore. It's time to surrender. Can I get everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes for a second? You know, I was thinking back to that day as a little girl, wanting so much to win that race. And I had done so many things right. And I had had the opportunity to even just be in the race itself. But there was one little thing that held me back. And it wasn't until I stopped long enough to see it and then released myself from it that I wasn't going anywhere. So maybe you're here this morning and you haven't yet taken the biggest challenge of your life and accepted Christ. What's holding you back from taking that step? Is it fear? Is it pride? You know, taking the walls down that falsely make you feel safe is a really great first step. It also might mean letting go of what others might say, letting go of what you think you understand about Jesus and just spending some time getting to know him. And you're going to find a love that frees you. Maybe you have accepted Christ, but you're still holding on tight to something else as well. And the truth is, until you fully let it go and surrender everything to Christ, you're just treading water. You know, I have students that have cruised through the program saying all the right things, but not truly changing because they wouldn't surrender. 
So today, I just want everyone to take a minute to look at your heart and see if there's something that is holding you back. And if there's anyone here who's saying to yourself, you know what, I am hanging on to something. And I don't know why I'm hanging on to it, but I just can't seem to let it go. You know what, today's a great first day to say, Jesus, I'm just going to surrender. So if that's you anywhere across this room, if you want to just put your hand up and I'll remember you in our closing prayer. Yeah, I see those hands. Absolutely. And if there's anyone that has never accepted the Lord and you would like to do that today, I'm also very willing to pray now or after the service if that's you. So certainly feel free to come up and see me. But let's just pray together. Father God, you saw all of the hands all across this room of people who recognize in their life they have something they need to lay down and surrender. And God, I'm believing, just like your scripture says, that you're looking on us with love because you know the turmoil that's causing. You know how hard it is for let, to let go of those things. And sometimes, it's even as crazy as it seems, as much as we want to get rid of them, they're so familiar that we just hang on too tight. And I thank you for each and every person that's just going to walk out of here today in the courage and say, I'm surrendering it all, God. I'm laying it all down. I'm not going to hang on to that thing anymore. I am ready to go. I'm like that horse that was ready to race, and I'm not going to let that rope hold me to the fence any longer. God, may we walk in a boldness that can only come for you to go out and to live a life that is just pleasing to you and honoring to you, God, that's going to make a difference in this world. God, may we forever keep you at the front of our mind, and may we follow your example always, God. Thank you for this day, God. Thank you for all that you do in our lives, and bless every single person in this room. In your name we pray. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.